Welcome back to the 49th episode from Mainspring Family Wellness. Uh, we are so excited today. We have uh, a special guest, Tara McKenzie. She is a pediatric occupational therapist uh, professionally, but she's going to share a personal story today about um, her journey with her daughter, Jameson, and getting some psychological assessment and testing uh, completed um, for her a learning disorder that they discovered that she had. Yeah, I mean, it's a topic that really hits home for for both of us as yes. well because we've experienced this with our our own children, and um, it's it's really comforting and helpful to hear other parents' experiences with this. Yeah, um, we thought it was really important to normalize the process because sometimes parents don't want to talk about this; they want to shy away from it or be in yes. denial over it, or it can be also very anxiety-provoking yes. to find out the results. It, yeah, it's, it's almost like what you don't know, right? You know, feels so it better, can be very uncomfortable. Um, but it actually is very empowering to get yes. this information because then you can really look into your next steps. Yep. And at the same time, the next steps can also be very overwhelming. So we wanted to talk about uh, what that process is like mm-hmm. for, for parents and how to navigate it in a really healthy way. Yeah. And Tara is just so insightful and full of knowledge from her um, professional background as well. So it's going to be a great conversation. I'm excited. This is Mainspring Family Wellness, where transformation takes root. This podcast is for parents pursuing both personal growth and family wellness. We will cover relevant topics that help us reflect, make educated choices, and parent effectively. My name is Kristen Perlmutter. I'm an educator, a philanthropist, and a mother of three who is passionate about personal growth and seeing families at their optimal wellness. And I'm Dr. Jenna Flowers, a marriage and family therapist, author of The Conscious Parent's Guide to Co-Parenting, speaker, and mother of three. Academic testing and psychological assessments are becoming more prevalent. They can be very helpful in figuring out how your child learns, the strengths and challenges of learning, and the overall emotional wellness of a child. But they can also be overwhelming for families to figure out what are the next steps. Does my child even need to receive an assessment? Well, today we're going to speak to a guest that we have had on the podcast from our very first season, pediatric occupational therapist Tara McKenzie, who's going to be sharing her journey with her daughter, Jameson. We also want to share a little more about our personal experiences for both Kristen and I with academic and psychological testing as well, as we each have our own kids and have uh, been through this process too. So we really hope that this podcast is informative for you and that it also highlights some real specific issues for families that are either going through this process or currently considering. So Tara, welcome back. Great to have you. Great to be here. Can you share a little of your background first with our audience again, just so they get familiar with yourself and what you do professionally? Absolutely. Um, I am a pediatric occupational therapist. I've been in private practice and worked in outpatient clinics for the past now 23 years. Um, My experiences with children ages 2 to about 14, and I work with children who have attention issues, learning issues, motor deficits. I even see more and more anxiety, self-regulation issues. Um, So anything that could affect a child's function. So my field has been really a busy one lately. And I do have a practice in Newport Beach. Um, 
with a couple therapists. I'm also in Arizona as well. Great. We're so happy to have you back, Tara. Thank you for coming to talk to us today. And like Jenna mentioned, it's definitely a topic that hits close to home for both of us um, with our own children. So I just want to ask you um, about the signs that you might have saw with your daughter that made you question um, that you needed you know, to seek out other resources. That's a great question because I do um, – my daughter Jameson is seven – Um, and at the time she was early seven when I did seek out an evaluation for her, I do have older boys. So she is my third and I've always since, I mean, in all honesty, I started seeing some signs as early as four and being a pediatric occupational therapist, I thought I had all the tools in the toolbox to provide all the sensory motor experiences to be able to give her the proper development. But I even at four, when I started to expose her to letters, to colors, to shapes, I knew she was bright, but there was always a bit of a missing link and a struggle associated with it. Whereas I felt as my boys went through that process, it was such a natural, playful process. Mm -hmm. She had tons of strengths as a young um, preschooler, but I really started to see some signs at four, really when she was learning letters. Mm -hmm. An E is an E every time you see an E. And I would see these inconsistencies, um, even though she had a lot of strengths in other areas. So that was probably the first signs early on. Um, as she moved into kindergarten, I think kindergarten, she was a post, you know, COVID kindergarten. And, um, you know, that was a little different experience for her. She was in class in a classroom, but I started to see that phenomic awareness was not developing mm-hmm. as I thought it should be. Although I do feel there's such a wide range of normal in kindergarten that she still fell in that lower end of normal. Mm-hmm. So we gave it some time. So started at four into kinder. And were you getting feedback from the teacher at that time too, Tara? Um, I was getting feedback from the teacher. Um, she had a really a, a teacher that just really believed in time, which mm-hmm. I know we'll address as well. Um, she felt she had so many strengths. I think she couldn't quite see the struggle at that time. Um, but the teacher was seeing her having lower scores, and I did get that feedback at the end of the kindergarten year when they did testing. Okay. So, what was the testing process like for you as a parent and for your for Jameson? So, the testing process, um, I in the first grade um, to finish that up a little, so it makes more sense. I started to see the homework come home. I think we see homework in first grade, starting in these young kids, first mm-hmm. second grade. And I started to see the tears and and just absolute shutdown at home. Mm. And I was thinking, gosh, did my boys do this at this age? And I just don't remember the struggle. So the tears, the emotionality, the I don't want to go to school. Mm. I saw that for quite a while. I'm tired. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And and my husband and I started talking and I said, I think we really have to look into getting a deeper dive. And what we decided to do is get a neuropsychological evaluation and really do a full evaluation. Mm-hmm. Now, with my f- background in pediatrics, I do know that there is some testing ages that are more effective. Um, for example, we really know the brain's more developed by the end of six right that beginning of seven. So I did wait till she had turned seven to get the testing. So I was strategic when I did it because I really didn't want to do testing twice Mm -hmm. and I wanted to get as much information as possible. Oh, that's such a good insight. Yes. 
So we did a neuropsychological evaluation and I sought that out and said, I would like it to be as thorough as possible because for me, I wanted to figure out the trajectory of her journey academically and emotionally. And I wanted to know where to spend time, resources, energy, and figure out where to go with her because I was doing this tutoring all along and it felt a little waste of time because I didn't know what I was dealing with. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you can't really pinpoint exactly what what the tutoring is really meant for. Right. Right. And if you don't have their um, true weaknesses, the approach can be a lot of wasted time. If a child has, you know, a diagnosis of a learning challenge in one area and you're doing it in an approach that's not their strength, it's really just can be a waste of time and money. So we wanted to really get the full picture. So how did you go about explaining that to Jameson that you were going to get her tested? Um, I, I love this part, this question, because I feel like this is so important, especially a lot of our kids, which I know Kristen, Jenna, YouTube can relate. Our kids that we typically take in for testing are often very observant, attentive kids. Mm-hmm. And they might be the kiddo that doesn't like to be in new experiences as much. Um, and that's my Jameson. Mm-hmm. Um, she wants to know all about it ahead of time. She wants to know why she's doing it. And she wants more information that I would say my boys sought out at that age. So I told Jameson that we, I said, you know how we, homework is just so exhausting and tiring and we end up getting in battles and you end up crying and sometimes mommy loses it and it's just not been very fun lately. I said, we're going to go find out what you're really good at and also what might be hard for you in school so that I can help you the best way I can as a mom and your teacher can help you in school the best way. This is like a kind of think of a seven-year-old, what you're good at, what you're not good at. And mm-hmm. I really approached it really simply. I didn't go into any mm-hmm. diagnostic, but I did give her a heads up that she was going to go for several testing periods because I felt like that was important. And I said, you're going to go two to three times. It, it might be different than things you've done before. You'll play games. You'll do some things that are a little harder. And I gave her a little bit of an idea of what she might be doing and that she'd be going back a few times. So she had that front loading. Mm-hmm. And how did she handle that? Like, what did you notice when you told her? I think there wasn't, um, she was initially, she pretty much, we laugh. We don't get a lot of, yes, that sounds amazing from her. Any of you <laughs> with with uh, uh, kids who are maybe not the typical mainstream kid might, might understand that. She was okay with it. And I did use a reward. I said, you know what? Look, if you work, she, she was, she was, didn't fight it, but she definitely wasn't excited about it. A little anxious, I would say, but I used a reward system and I, I've done that with all my kids where if you do something big, we'll go out for it. It was, I think, ice cream the first time and maybe stop Mm -hmm. at Target the second time, but Mm -hmm. make it a little bit like you worked really hard. We're going to have a little reward after. That's great. That's good. I know for um, my son, when we we got testing done, he automatically, and I tried to front load, he just looked defeated. Mm. He just, he really interpreted that as oh, there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to keep it about, oh, this is, you know, to help us see the strengths, to mm-hmm. see where we, there are challenges so that we can continue to, to build, to build on those. But he already had a certain perception. And I think it's because he knew in class there was something different. Yeah. Something wasn't really clicking. And I wonder if he was scared to find out what that was. And mm-hmm. so he just kind of, wanted to distract 
mm-hmm. from from being there. And so there were times where we started out, but he would get so frustrated he would he would need to leave, mm. and then we'd have to circle back, uh, which by the way gets expensive. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it <laughs> does. <laughs> As a parent, but that's a, that's a that's a mom issue, not not a son issue. But I think to keep kids in a really regulated space and stay positive, having a reward like that is like we'll look forward to this after. Mm-hmm. And I think also um, uh, the testing time, keeping it maybe even shorter amount of blocks, because not all kids have right. you know a good two hour bandwidth to be able to sit there. Yeah, and it, it can be very, very lengthy and very exhausting for them. Yeah, I mean, with my daughter, who, who was older when she did the testing, she was in seventh grade, um, you know, we had those conversations as well. One of the things that was really heartbreaking, and I know you both can relate to this, just that she shared how that she didn't feel smart. Mm-hmm. And um, I tried to really explain to her how everybody learns differently and everybody has different strengths. And um, and that was one of the things we that we learned through the testing is we, we didn't get the results and say, oh, my gosh, we have this major deficit here. It was look at look at what these amazing strengths that you have um, because everybody has them and then everybody has weaknesses. So I think that sort of demystified things a bit for her as well. Um, yeah, that's fantastic because then she can actually see this is what you're really good at. Yeah. This is what you lean on to also adapt or cope yes. with sometimes some of the deficits. Yes, yes. And it took her a little while to come around because she was, you know, now she's getting accommodations for um, tests and, and things. And I think it can feel like she's being separated. But the reality is, is A, there's a lot of kids at school in the same boat. So that's very comforting. Um, and B, I think she's seen that the plan that we came up with is actually really helping her. And I think she now sees it in a different light. Um, and anyway, but I just wanted to share that, um, the, the testing doesn't have to be, you know, just a, a look at what you don't have. It can also be a really positive look at what you do have. Tara, do you think a lot of parents shy away from getting testing done? Because they just want to stay in denial. I mean, what are your thoughts about that? I do, and I think that um, also having my professional background, sometimes as an occupational therapist, we have to deep dive further um, mm-hmm. than just OT to find out what's contributing to the challenges of the child. And my thought is, it's scary. It's scary to go. I mean, I'm gonna, you know, being really vulnerable. I think I was scared bringing her in. Um, maybe there was nothing, which it sounds silly, but maybe there was nothing. And then we're just, we just have a challenging road ahead of us. Mm -hmm. Um, I also had a fear of what if she is, um, does have, you know, just a lower average IQ. And this is something that we struggle with. Whereas we found out completely different. I think for some parents, it's fear of their own internal struggles. I mean, I'm just speaking for myself. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, my husband, I struggle with this and we fear they might. So Putting that out on paper can be Mm -hmm. scary. And then the last one is this label concept is really scary for parents. And I've learned this professionally as well. Um, And I've always said, you know, if your child's struggling and, you know, just in the world when they're going to get a label, whether or not they get a label from, you know, a diagnostician or even just the friends and teachers around them, because if they are struggling, Um, the teachers, the family, the tutors, they have to put them somewhere. So I think labels can be scary. Whereas for me, for Jameson, it was empowering. It was like, Mm -hmm. wow, 
And in the world we live in now where dyslexia, uh, ADHD, um, you know, executive function disorder, these are words we're now teaching kids and empowering them to say, yes, your brain does work differently, but look at what you get to be able to do. And you think about things differently. So Mm. long answer to your question. I think it's scary. And um, I think it's more about us as adults, maybe than it even is about the child. I agree with that completely. You know, Kristen, you had brought up that there are more and more kids getting accommodations. Mm -hmm. And Tara, you just said your practice is also very equally busy with regulation issues, yes. attention issues. Like why are we seeing so much of this? Is it is it the food we're eating? Is it that we just are diagnosing this? And we're it's, more aware of it? I think it's maybe all of the above. <laughs> I mean Tara, what do you, what are your thoughts? I, I do think it's all of the above because I think about this every day and I don't know about you guys. My span of kids is about six and a half years. Even the difference between my older and younger, I think about the differences um, I think all those things you mentioned, I think food, I think, um, I mean, I we hate to go into it and I am guilty of it, but their executive function skills are being, are, are less, um, powerful now because they've been on screens earlier. Yes. Yeah, um, yes. and there's a co- direct correlation of executive function and impulsivity and inattention. And I'm number one to say she got screens earlier than my others. Cause I was kind of surviving, um, the older yes. ones. I think that also our um, learning environment, we do know more, I think, and we are in a culture now more to advocate for our weaknesses and advocate for ourselves and our children, whereas it wasn't as advocated maybe in the past. Um, Like something like dyslexia doesn't have near the stigma it used to. I don't know if you two ladies feel the same. Definitely. Um, But I think those all, and then all, and then the other factor I think is environment, our fast pace, right? So then our kids with learning disabilities, emotional anxiety challenges, ADHD, they cannot keep up in this fast pace. It's harder for them. Their Mm -hmm. brains are more tired. I mean, I don't know about you, but Jameson is my most exhausted child. She Mm -hmm. works harder than the kids next to her and comes home and is more exhausted. And so we have a faster pace. Um, I think it's probably a combination of all of that in my thought. I think you're, I think you're right. Um, I think I just want to talk a little bit too more about like when you actually get those testing results, because it can be so overwhelming and there's so many steps that might need to be taken. And based on the results of those tests, it's like, how do you discern what your priority is? What are the first steps a parent should take in your opinion? This is a great question. And this is possibly a next business model of some sort, because (laughs) I've had so many parents ask me this question before I went through this process. So talk about humbling, right? When I'm guiding someone, when I haven't actually been, I mean, even in 20 years of practice, um, this is such a good question because I have been doing a ton of just research on Jameson's learning challenges. And one thing that I have learned with children with, whether it be emotional or learning challenges, is we can't throw too much at them. Mm-hmm. And it, it is too overwhelming for kids whose brains are not neurotypical to be thrown five therapies at once. And right, often right. these, right? Like often, I'm sure both of you, you might have OT recommended, you might have tutoring, you have um, neurofeedback, yeah. mm-hmm. right? You yes. might have recommend um, physical activity of some other type on your evaluation. You might have 
And so you look at this list as a parent and you know, I know many parents who have just shut down and said, I don't even know where to start mm-hmm. and they don't even know where to go for this. So my thought on that for Jameson is I looked at her and her age, and I think you could do this with any, like Kristen with your daughter, her and her age, her, her certain services. And I thought this child, the reading, because she has mixed dyslexia, is the number one causing her anxiety, struggle, mm-hmm. and this is the foundation for her. So my husband and I decided to pursue the reading first. We only focused on one intensive program to start her therapy. And there was a lot of thoughts around it, like, should you pull her out of school to do these? Is it severe enough? And my thought was, I need to keep my family sustained, my mm-hmm. own job and 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 family unit sustained. So we decided to do an intensive approach and start with reading. And we did it over the summertime where we have more time and energy and resources. Now for her, the reading made sense because she was going into second grade and third Mm -hmm. grade is where they're um, no longer learning to read, they're reading to learn. And my thought is building up on that. I had many areas I could approach. I could have approached diet. I could have approached handwriting. I could have, but my thought was I'm going to approach one thing with this child. So I prioritize that. And now from there, I'm thinking about my next steps of where, um, where we're going to go with her challenges and strengths. I just love that to choose one thing Mm -hmm. because then you can actually build self-confidence and self-confidence is always on, is about the belief in yourself with your abilities. So to take one task, like learn how to become a phenomic reader, you know, like Mm -hmm. how to break that down and see the the growth over the summer, it doesn't overwhelm your daughter, Right. right? But then she can start to see her progress, I'm sure. Absolutely. Also, you took into account balancing out your your own family and schedule. Mm-hmm. Because I think what happens is for a lot of what, what you're saying, like all these different interventions that are, hey, your, your child needs this, this, and this, and this. It's like you look at it and you're like, well, I've got two other kids. Right. Like how am I going to manage all <laughs> this time after this. school yeah. and get all of this done? Yeah. It just doesn't feel feasible. It doesn't. And then to, um you know, pile that on to their schoolwork and extracurricular activities that you don't want to take away. It, it is, it's a lot. It's a lot. And um, that's really helpful advice, Tara. Um, and I agree, just not trying to take it all on at once, just breaking it down slowly. Um, I think that's the more effective way. So how, how did that um, how did that transition work with the rest of your family? I mean, are you guys getting through it okay, adding another layer of something else that, that needs to be taken care of in your family? I mean, how are you How are you guys doing with that? That's a great question. I feel like when we did get the diagnosis, um, we sat down with, um, well, first of all, and this is a, a leading up to answering your question, but we sat down first of all um, with Jameson. Um, we, everyone has a different theory on this. Um, I really being, believe and being very transparent with my children mm-hmm. about their strengths and weaknesses. And that would be no matter what, whether it's a diagnosis or not. But we sat down with Jameis as, as best we could and basically said, you know, you, we did all this testing. Remember we went in. Yes, this is what we found out about you. This is so amazing. Like we, this is great news we want to share with you. 
you know, we found out your brain, you're, you're, you're so incredibly smart and your brain works a little bit differently, which makes reading and writing hard. Um, so sometimes you might have to work hardy, harder in reading and writing. However, the great thing about you is you have an incredible memory and you have these things that are really great about you and you're, you're so good physically and at sports and these things, but these are more your challenges. So we gave her a first grade version of, and we did tell her she had dyslexia. Um, she didn't really internalize that at the time. She was just like, okay. And we read a book and moved on. And then with the boys, we sat down with them as a family unit and explained to them Jameson's struggle because we felt like they could be really helpful in the big picture of it. And we wanted them to have grace and just, um, understanding, um, Mm -hmm. in, in, in this whole topic. So we sat down um, with them and really told them, explained to them, like, this is kind of what it's going to look like and as a family unit so that they could be supportive. And honestly, I think the understanding of the boys has been so great because they've just been really supportive of her. And then she has more of an understanding. So I say our approach is was transparency and putting it out there with like that. Okay. You could have fear of where that goes, but for us, it it turned out well and we're, and we're doing great and communicating about it well. And so far, so good. That's so great. That's so, um, that's such a great idea to get the the other kids involved and just to get their support, um, get them on board. That's really, that's really good advice as well to share that with the entire family like that. It's funny. Uh, yesterday we had, uh, a reading assessment come back from home, you know, and how the kids are doing. I think they call it map testing. And so, um, my youngest was, you know, he's always very sensitive because he's the one that got um, went through the testing process. He's like, well, this testing came back, you know, what does it say? And so he saw that his reading is below uh, a certain benchmark. And uh, he was so upset, he just stormed up to his room and he's got a little drum st- set upstairs. All of a sudden I hear the drums going, you know, <laughs> like he's getting out all that, Get all the all that the upset and letting him just kind of like have his moment. But the beautiful thing that came out of this, I'm just like, is that he's such a fighter. So he came down and then he was just like, I said, you know, I I get it. You didn't like seeing the testing results. And we know we're working on reading and this is something we've been building on through the summer. And this is this is a great a goal for you about where you need to move forward. And, you know, maybe part of what we can do is also uh, writing stories. Maybe helping to write stories and read them would really help you also. So then he got in his head. He took he took what I said and he wrote a full page, which I've never seen him do, mm-hmm. and asked me a couple questions about a couple spelling words. And out of that came such a resilient story that he wrote and then proudly read to me and I just it was just such a win and I was like you got your aggressions out you didn't feel good about it but you circled back and that shows that you're not going to let this get you down like tantrums don't help you learn how to read better no right so now that you got the feelings out and we've acknowledged it let's move forward and he did I love that it was a big win in the flowers home yesterday for sure Sounds like a big one. That's great. So how is Jameson doing? She's doing great. And I, Jen, I love your story of um, resiliency because I had someone at our school one time say, 
you know, you, you can put them in all these programs um, and you can have them work super hard. There's going to be a point where they're going to become empowered. And mm. sometimes you have to sit in the yuck and a little bit of the like hard work and the failing and even in spelling tests, your kids have all done spelling tests. Sometimes you get that spelling list on Monday and you're like, oh, yeah. 20 more words on the spelling <laughs> test. And she she has accommodations, but she's also at the point where her teacher is having her rise to the occasion. She, she thinks she can do it, which is such a beautiful place to be because she wow. works really hard. And she's seeing um, the fruits of her, her labor and the week she studies and the week she doesn't. And I think mm-hmm. – what a great life lesson of yes. putting the work in and then being able to see it. Whereas, I mean, my older boys didn't have to put as much work in. And I'm thinking about a life skill like you're talking about, Jenna, of being able to look at something and say, but I want to be able to pass it on Thursday and not have to retake it Friday. So I'm really going to study. And so right now, um, to see where she is now, Honestly, I couldn't be more pleased. She still is on that lower end of, of, of reading, but she's reading at still level age level, whereas before this year, you know, was more of a kindergarten level. She's reading. She has a book in her hand all the time, which is the part I care about. She's wanting yeah. to. Um, she's thriving in school. She's less tired every day, which could be developmental, right? Mm-hmm, and, you know, sure. getting into second grade. Um, she likes school. She likes her teacher. She feels confident. And that has been my, like you, you know, describe Kristen too. It's just like the confidence piece has been huge this year. And that is where I've seen the biggest difference. Hardly any tears before school. We manage the homework a lot better than I used to. Mm-hmm. I, I brought on someone to help me with it. It was too emotional for me. Good for um, you. I know that's really good advice for people too, though. Yeah, it is a lot. And sometimes you do need another person to facilitate. Well, and you know what? We're moms. Yeah. Not all of us also have to be tutors. No. No. (laughs) I I mean, I I learned that the hard way during COVID when my first grader was given only 30 minutes a week online with their first grade teacher. (laughs) Yeah, like, I think we all learned a lot. I was just like, I'm time. out. Like, <laughs> this isn't gonna work. This isn't gonna work. Yeah, it's, and then sometimes it's just the fact that it's you. It needs to be somebody else. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, it depends on the child, right? The one you might does. have a more emotional tie to has you have a harder time sitting and really completing homework with and going through those tasks. That's well, right. and as we just learned from um, our previous guest, Dr. Han. If we have a reactive a reactive um, moment with our kids or we're in judgment, we probably have some trauma that yes. we haven't dealt with as a parent. And so it really comes back to us as parents taking a look at that and being mm-hmm. like, where does that really come from for me? Mm-hmm. Where, where is that in my story that I've got to deal with so that I don't project that onto my kid? Yeah. Take some time for some healing. That's so good too, because I think when you end up having a child who has learning differences, if you're any type of like performer or type A, more personality, and you see those lower scores, it's, it's, it's so hard sometimes to separate yourself from like the failure as a parent, the failure of the setting you put in, whatever it might be. Um, And I have to really watch myself on that. Yeah. I'd love to talk about that for a minute because I do hear parents internalizing and saying things like, well, I I went to UCLA. Like, I don't understand. It's kind of like almost like this dissociation, like that. That's not me. I'm, 
you know, I don't. Right, well, that's your experience. Yes. It's not necessarily your child's experience. But I think people struggle with, they make it about them. It's something. Very true. Yeah. So um, I think you do have to be so careful that you don't share that message or let your kids hear that message. Um, because then, of course, there's there would most likely be some shame and um, around that. Yeah, feeling different, not mm-hmm. really accepted mm-hmm. by your parent. And also, you know, embracing who you are. Yes. You know, who your child is. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, constant communication of how we're all very different. We all learn very differently. So any advice, Tara, for uh, parents out there considering getting testing for their kids? I think my biggest piece of advice is um, I only get so many years with my child in in the house. Um, Not to bring emotional. She's only seven. But, you know, for my older ones, I only get so many years and more understanding I have of my child, the better parent I am. I mean, that's mm. just the reality. It's I may so not true. be able to, right? I might not be able to solve all their problems. I might not be able to resource all their problems out. But the more understanding I have of my child, the more I think I can be a better parent, not better tutor, not better coach, not better. And so for me, if you're on the edge of testing, what it provided for me was actually a relief of just me knowing my child more. And then once again, to use this word, setting the trajectory of of, of how to move forward, if at all. Mm-hmm. And maybe you get something, you do nothing. It's just information. But I think it, it, it for me, um, that would be the biggest piece of advice is this type of testing allowed me to understand her little heart and mind even more. That's so great. Yeah. You always have such good advice and insight, Tara. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us from a personal and professional level. Yeah. Thanks so much again, Tara. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's great to be on with you two again. I'm so glad we had Tara on. Me too. Me too. This is a topic that, I mean, the conversation just really needs to continue. And um, I know that the process is always evolving. It's so much better than it used to be. But it's still, like we talked about um, in our conversation with Tara, it's still one that creates a lot of anxiety for families. But you know, her nugget at the end when she talked about, I want to be the best parent that I can be. And understanding my daughter is part of what makes me a really good parent to her. I loved that. I love that too. Because she clearly creates a space for her daughter to just be herself. Not Tara's image of who she should be. Not, you know, any kind of other... Uh, projections that her and her husband are putting on their daughter. They're just really looking at Jameson for who she is and what she needs to thrive. What an incredibly healthy message that um, for all of our families out there. And it doesn't even matter what your child is going through, but just that simple message of truly understanding your child and who they are and taking yourself out of that is so important. So important. And it also reminds me, you know, going back to a podcast we did last year with Dr. Birkins. Mm. Remember, each of our kids are on their own developmental uh, stages, you know, and, and how they navigate through that in their timing is their timing. Yeah. And our job is to really hold space for them and walk beside them really while they're figuring it out. Right. 
Well, thanks again for joining us. And you can always find us on Instagram at Mainspring Family. Thank you to Gold Pacific Studios, our sound engineer, Connor. It's always such a pleasure to be here. Our producer, Cindy Murray. Um, and always such a great pleasure to be with you, Kristen. It's always a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you.